You don't have any Stephen King. You've got the shoe. You mean shiny. Shh. You wanna get sued? It's just your fate. You're that geeky Stephen King kid. There's one of you in every school. Okay, that's him, that's him, that's Kujo, that's Kujo. I was thinking along the lines of no TV and no beer make Homer something, something. Oh, crazy. Don't mind if I do. Hello and welcome to Tower Junkies, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. Tower Junkies is a podcast celebrating the work of Stephen King, hosted by two lifelong constant readers. We do non-spoiler and spoiler reviews of King's published work and take a critical look at his film and television adaptations as well. We also discuss the latest King news and check in with each other on our ongoing King obsessions. It's the podcast where all things serve the King. You can find more of our work at TowerJunkiesPod.com and you can also like the Facebook page at Facebook.com com slash tower junkies pod and follow us on twitter and every other level of social media at tower junkies pod um i've also started making some tiktok videos on uh quote unquote book talk so check that out at ov podcasts and if you'd like to support what we do here, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer for an obscene amount of bonus content spread across all of obsessiveviewer.com's various podcasts. Um, recently on the Patreon, um, I have been continuing my weekly installment series that I have dubbed The Church of King, where every Sunday I review something Stephen King related. Um, that has been going this year alone for 30 consecutive weeks uh yeah every sunday and uh i'm finishing off uh 2023 with a four-part series on full dark no stars so that will be what i'm kind of concluding the 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 year with um but right now i uh have just finished uh by the time everyone's listening to this because i'm posting this on tuesday um the uh i just finished my six part series on everything's eventual which is hence why we're reviewing what we're reviewing tonight um and yeah and previous to that i did a whole read along series on uh the on everything holly gibney and uh a bunch of other short fiction collections so like i said it's 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 up there and then that that is like a fraction of the amount of stuff that's on patreon also so uh definitely recommend checking that out because i put a lot of work into it and i'm very proud of it and uh and it's a lot of content so check that out patreon.com slash obsessive viewer i'm one of your hosts matt hurt and today on the show we are reviewing both the short story 1408 and it's 2000 seven film adaptation uh also titled 1408 and joining me to do that is of course my co-host uh my my co-host friend my co-host and friend tiny <laughs> hi tiny how is it going this evening hey buddy i am doing really well how are you good very very well yeah i uh i'm excited to to record some tower junkies and also i was going to ask you this before we started recording um because I uh, wanted to pitch something to you, but I don't know what your schedule is like in terms of potentially recording anything in December. But given that we're doing 1408, both the short story and the adaptation, um, 
in that both of these movies, like this, this movie stars John Cusack and Samuel L. Jackson. I wanted to pitch the possibility of us covering in two episodes in December, um, the novel cell in the movie adaptation. Um, that's funny. (laughs) Yeah. Because the movie stars John Cusack and Samuel L. Jackson and by all accounts that I've heard, it is abysmally bad. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know, but maybe that's something we can talk about off mic. But that's that's my that's my like vision for December on Tower Junkies. But and it, we'll I see. kind of forgot about that. I feel like we almost have to. Because yeah. It's like you can't just not do it because right. of that. The coincidence there. Um, also, to further the coincidence, December 21st, I think, will be Samuel L. Jackson's 75th or 76th birthday. So, Wow. Yeah. And okay, I'm sure John yeah. Cusack probably has stuff going on in December, too. I don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> nice. I I read Cell. I actually read I read the book, and I, I thought it was okay. Um, and I... I know I watched the movie. Oh, did you? But, Interesting. But I think I think I fell asleep like for the last half hour or something like that. Okay. And I, I don't I don't know that I remember any of it at all. Like that's awesome. any of it. So I I think I was just checked out when I watched it. But uh, mm. anyways, yeah, um, yeah, I I might be game for that. Nice. And I know that the book is relatively short. I read it too, but way back in like. 2010 i think we probably read it at the same time um probably when we were working working together but um right i know that the movie isn't and the movie's only like 90 minutes long um but yeah uh we'll 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 figure it out we'll we'll hopefully (laughs) figure it out um word yeah yep but um, so yeah, so yeah, we've got, we've, that's what's on the docket tonight though on the show. Um, and, and before we get into like our reviews and everything, we obviously always do, um, Stephen King news and check-ins. So I have a couple of news items if you want to, uh, go into the news section. Yes, sir. All right. So the first piece of news I have is going to be kind of short because I don't think either of us have read this book, but... Um, It was announced yesterday as of this recording on November 29th that Lionsgate picks up Stephen King's The Long Walk with Francis Lawrence attached to direct. Um, So it says JT Molnar will uh, write the script. Uh, The... Oh, interesting. So, I know. So, like, what I primarily know um, Francis Lawrence for is his work directing the Hunger Games movies. I didn't realize that he came back and directed the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, which just recently came out. Huh. Um, but how do you feel about this? And do, what, have you ever read The Long Walk? I have not read The Long Walk. No, me neither. And I've heard it's one of his Bachman books, and I've heard that it is very, very just. Uh, uh, it's, it's very, it's, it's dark. It's one of those edgy Bachman books. Um, yeah. but also to, to mention, um, Francis Lawrence is that like, he didn't just do the Hunger Games. Obviously he also directed 2005's Constantine and I Am Legend. Um, so like he, he's not just like the dystopian YA guy, um, which I think, mm. 
I was talking to a friend of mine about this, that um, with the announcement that Francis Lawrence was attached to direct, my immediate like gut reaction was, oh man, um, <clears throat> uh, Hunger Games. Yeah, like YA, dystopian, because I know that The Long Walk has like some dystopian kind of elements to it from like the scant information that I know about it. Um, but also while I was thinking about that, I was thinking that I wonder if my hesitance toward that and my lack of, not lack of excitement, but my limited excitement for this is due to residual like burning from the Dark Tower movie and how they kind of tried to make that into kind of a YA uh tonally like like very very lightly ya like i don't know <clears throat> i don't know maybe i'm just crazy but how do you feel about this uh yeah i you know i really like um quite a few of francis lawrence's movies mm-hmm. um like i am legend yeah i really like that um i you know uh but i i don't have any I don't really know that I know what the long walk is about. I'm not, I'm not familiar with it at all. Um, so I, let's see, you know, it's yeah. pretty early on, obviously. I don't even, I, uh, does it even say if there's a script or anything? Uh, no, it just says that they're working on it. But, uh, from what I understand of the long walk, well, actually here we go. Uh, first published under the author's pseudonym, Richard Bachman, The Long Walk centers on an annual contest in which a hundred teen boys embark on the punishing titular journey that involves strict stipulations like they must walk at least four miles an hour and ends with only one survivor. Um, so wow. that's where kind of the dystopian teen aspect kind of comes into. Yeah, that sounds pretty dark. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean... I'm I'm intrigued for sure, um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I I didn't I didn't love the Hunger Games movies, and so I yeah, me neither. I mean, they they were they were fine, but like mm-hmm. I, you know, he he tackled the young adult thing pretty well. I mean, yeah, for what for what it was or for what it is, so that definitely has a young adult a YA tinge to it, I guess. So yeah, yeah I mean, yeah, we'll we'll see what happens, I guess. Yeah, and like you said, it does sound pretty dark, but um, you know what they say, Tiny, and this is going to be a perfect segue to the second news item. It's best if you like it darker. Um, And that's my very, now that I've said it out loud, very clunky segue to the other piece of news, which is, since the last time we recorded a Tower Junkies episode, a lot of news has broke about the new Stephen King book, which is coming out in... Uh, I think it's May, yeah, May 21st, 2024. It is You Like It Darker, a short story collection from King. Um, and it includes 12 short stories. Um, several have already been published elsewhere, but, uh, basically it's, it's a new short story collection and I'm so excited. Um, a rundown of the stories that are featured there. Like I said, there's 12, uh, one called Two, uh, Talented Bastards. Uh, the Fifth Step, uh, Willie the Weirdo, Danny Coughlin's Bad Dream, Finn, uh, On Slide In Road, Red Screen, The Turbulence Expert, Lori, Rattlesnakes, 
the dreamers and the answer man and i just realized like reading that as a list was terrible for the audience i'm sure but (laughs) um but of those um finn was published in 20 i think 2022 um as part of a scribbed kind of exclusive deal um I think I reviewed it on the podcast with maybe with Kim C. Um, and then Red Screen was a humble bundle uh, charity thing for the ACLU in, I think, 2021, uh, which I actually covered that on Patreon. And I believe that that Patreon recording is free to everyone. So you can go on Patreon and find it and listen to it um, without subscribing or anything. Um, and then also... Uh, uh, I think Lori has been uh, previously published somewhere. Willie the Weirdo was published earlier this year, I think, somewhere in, like, uh, I think maybe The New Yorker. Um, but The Turbulence Expert was in um, fight, uh, Flight or Fright, uh, the um, the collection from a few years ago that Bev Vincent uh, edited, I believe. And then uh, the other thing I wanted to point out is the big kind of big news of this and everything is that Rattlesnakes, the story in the collection, is a sequel to Cujo. Um, wow. Yeah. So uh, the the short story, there is an excerpt that you can find online uh, from Rattlesnakes, but I haven't read it because I want to kind of go in clean but i do know that it centers on vic trenton who is the uh the father of uh in the father character the father of the kid in cujo um so yeah yeah have you have you ever read cujo i read cujo back in the famed summer of 1999 that's right yes (laughs) how do you feel about this news then yeah, that's exciting. I mean, it might inspire me to uh, go back and read it finally. Yes, it might inspire us to go ahead and cover it on the show. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I think that we will probably be covering it on the show. Uh, that would be fun to do just, you know, Cujo and then the movie and then get right into You Like It Darker. Um, nice. Yeah. So that's uh, that's in May, though. But yeah, like I said, this uh, collection comes out May 21st. Um, you can pre-order it on Amazon and uh, Audible and all of that good stuff. Um, the cover art is freaking awesome. Um, have you seen nice. the cover image? No, no. Okay, yeah, it is. Um, it's like, it looks like an island or a peninsula, and I didn't even notice this, but it it has the look of um, it, like an alligator or a crocodile. Um, mm. It just it it looks really really cool. Um, yeah, so I I am very much a fan of it. Um, I can't wait. I just I love new Stephen King. Um, Hell yeah! Yeah. Uh, so that is all that I have for news. I'm trying to discreetly find the cover to send to you. I'm sending you it now. Um, both the just regular cover and the kind of full, full design cover. Um, very cool. Yep. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm very, very excited about it. Um, yeah. Yep. Um, so that is all that I have for news. Um, do you want to go into uh, Stephen King check-ins for this episode? 
Absolutely. Nice. Okay. Well, um, I have a bunch of stuff that is also going to be some shameless self-promotion, of course, for the Patreon. But um, <laughs> how many things do you have? Do you have like... I mean, really, just, just the one thing from okay. reading. Okay. Reading 1408, <laughs> yeah. so... Okay. Uh, okay. I'll just rattle off some, some stuff that I have and then I'll throw, I'll throw it to you. Um, did you, yeah, well, we'll talk about that. Uh, of course I mentioned before I've been covering everything's eventual on Patreon. That's a six part series. The sixth part is going to show up on Patreon on Sunday. Um, and it's been fun. It's been fun revisiting that short story collection, um, which this obviously 1408 is in, um, as far as, his collections are concerned i would say that everything's eventual kind of ranks somewhere in the middle or the lower portions of it um i feel like all of his short story collections and all of his short fiction collections are very strong like they're very awesome they're cool they're good um but everything's eventual is kind of it's it's a little more hit or miss than they usually are um so it's been interesting kind of revisiting it and, and kind of analyzing some of the stories in, in a deeper way than, than, you know, just firing off a tweet when I, uh, when I finish a story or, or what have you. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's solid, but I'm very excited to, to go on to the next part of the, my Church of King project on Patreon, which is Full Dark No Stars. And then I have it all mapped out for 2024 as well. So that's a whole thing. But again, that's at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. Um, Something that's not anything that I covered for Patreon, something that I actually did just for fun um, and leisure is in October, I reread Salem's Lot, Um, which is interesting because kind of similar to Everything's Eventual, this is, Salem's Lot is a book that I usually, like, I... I'm a little back and forth on it. Like I have fond, I had fond memories of it now that it's, now it's more fresh in my mind, but I had fond memories of it from when I first read it. And I've read it a few times in like in the intervening years. Um, but it's never one that I felt very passionate about. Um, in this read through, it is, I mean, it is good. It is a very good novel and I did gain a little bit more appreciation for it. Um, but I do also just feel like, yeah, I mean, it has a lot of his, uh, good characteristics and good traits or good writing traits and everything. But these are all things that I've also seen him do better in other stories. So, um, I like Salem's lot, but, um, but yeah, I don't know. Um, if they ever release the movie, the, the new remake, I'm probably going to push us to, to record, to review, do a whole series on Salem's Lot, basically, but yeah, um, eventually. But yeah, because I guess I could have sure. put in. Yeah, I guess I could have put in the news that they uh, the rumor is that they're going to dump the Salem's Lot remake that was supposed to come out in like 2022. The rumor is that they're looking to just dump it on on Max at some point. So yeah, we'll see. <clears throat> kind of a shame. I wasn't really super excited for that, anyways. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Um, a couple other things for my check-ins that are just tangentially related is that are that I uh, reread Chasing the Boogeyman by Richard Chismar. 
um because i want to i'm i'm going to be reading becoming the boogeyman uh here soon um and i kind of wanted a refresher and chasing the boogeyman is phenomenal like richard chismar is like he's he's worked with king and like he's a obviously a huge admirer of king he has um cemetery dance publications which is where he he's uh published a lot of stories through that and and it got the attention of stephen king and that's kind of how they hooked up and started working together a little bit uh he wrote uh the gwendy trilogy with him um but chasing the boogeyman is so freaking good did you ever read it no Okay. Do you know what it's about? No, I'm not familiar with it. Okay, nice. I'm going to give you a, just a soft pitch that it is It is Richard Chismar is the main character. He is playing himself uh, and he, playing himself like he's, he's writing at like he's a self insert um, and it is basically him fictionalizing this story of him in his hometown while he was in college uh in the hometown being uh um tormented by a serial killer and it's so interesting because it is a thriller it's a it's a horror novel it's a thriller novel and it also has a lot of um a lot of uh, uh true crime aspects to it but really what it really is is just this loving homage to his hometown and where he grew up like the the killings and everything are fictionalized like that's all it's a fictional story but yeah. it's just so interesting how he takes this specific tone this specific genre and creates this love letter to his hometown <laughs> and his nostalgia and his memories and his childhood uh through that it's a very very unique thriller so yeah i i really like it and highly highly recommend it that sounds really good yeah i mean a very creative way for you know like a creative fiction writer to almost tell a non-fiction story or like blend the two i guess yeah yep very absolutely very cool very cool idea yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, my upstairs neighbors are vacuuming. So if you hear anything in the background, that's what that is. Um, mm. The other semi-related thing that's not really related really at all, but it's semi-related to what we're talking about tonight, is that I will have an essay in December uh, posted on MidwestFilmJournal.com. Um, uh, it's an essay about a certain Samuel L. Jackson performance. Um, I don't want to say what it is yet i don't know why but um but basically that's going to be up sometime in december and it's not 1408 or cell it's something not stephen king related but i'm very very proud of the essay and i recommend checking out midwest film journal um, sweet yeah and that's all the check-ins i have tiny um what do you have for us and you said just the 1408 thing but didn't you haven't you reread something recently did you in the last like couple of months Mm, no no i don't think so i feel like you did well let me ask you uh, i'm not gonna go into the whole thing uh if it bleeds <laughs> oh yeah 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 we yeah yeah we totally read that yeah didn't we um yep. man i thought we talked about that already no the last episode of tower junkies we had was in september September when we finished our gunslinger um <laughs> uh series damn so we haven't even talked about that have we no Jeez. 
Crazy. I thought that. I mean, I remember reading it. I just I mm-hmm. thought uh, we'd already talked about it. Already. Yeah. Wild. Yeah. I think that that falls on me too because I knew that you were reading it, and then I figured that like we would put a th- put an episode together, but then I just never followed up on it. Okay. <laughs> so gotcha. Yeah. yeah, I read. I read. If it bleeds, um, liked it a lot. I thought it was a very cool way to stay in that universe, the Holly Gibney mm-hmm. universe. Um. I like that it wasn't just like Stephen King inserting her into another story. Like it, it was a follow up to her, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Um, Cause you know, she was, she was sort of inserted into the outsider, um, which I loved. Like I thought it was actually, that was great. Like I had nothing, I have no issues with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought it was a great, a great amalgamation of two, two of his characters or, you know, it was just a cool idea. Um, but this was, this was, and you know, this isn't even original Holly Gibney stuff. It's not, you know, the, the trilogy she was a part of, uh, yeah. originally, but, um, but yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a really fun idea. Um, I love the character too. I know, um, Stephen King is like obsessed with her. I, I don't get it. Like get a room, you know? <laughs> right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, she's, she's a fun character. I, I, I enjoy it. I appreciated that. So, and then I did read 1408 for this as well. I was contemplating hopping around to some other short stories on Everything's Eventual. I nice. I didn't because I'm in the middle of another book right now. Okay. Um, I'm reading a book called Ghost in the Wires. Um, it's it's about like hacking in like the oh. early early days of like computer hacking, and um, it was written by a guy named Kevin Mitnick. Um, he like I'm like halfway through it right now. It's it's really fascinating. Like he started before the internet existed and before computers were even really a thing. He started like basically hacking over telephone lines and like uh like conning people over the phone to get information basically and uh mm-hmm. builds that into gathering information and he only ever did it for fun. Like he never wow. well, I mean he he mm. mostly did it for fun. Like he didn't really he wasn't a hacker trying to like, he's not like anonymous or like one of these. Um, he didn't really use it for the most part. Like he kind of took advantage of a couple things to make some money, but it wasn't like ripping anybody off or stealing anything. It was just okay. loopholes and kind of taking advantage of stuff. But yeah, he's a really interesting guy. It's a, it's a, it's a cool book so far. Um, nice. It was recommended, recommended to me by a, um, a coworker. So yeah. nice. Awesome. Cool. I'll have to add yeah. that to my list. Um, yeah, and also I should mention that uh, for fans of our friend Kim C. from the Year of Underrated Stephen King, she was a guest on Obsessive Viewer, our other show. Um, a couple of weeks ago, uh, she and I reviewed Priscilla, and we also talked a bit about uh, Pet Cemetery Bloodlines and, of course, went into uh, uh, tangents about Stephen King as well. And, oh, we also talked about... Um, Mike Flanagan's upcoming The Life of Chuck adaptation. So uh, check that out uh, on Obsessive Viewer. And also check out Obsessive Viewer um, <laughs> if I could plug the other show uh, <laughs> and everything. But uh, yeah, that was episode 402. You can find that at obsessiveviewer.com slash OV402. And uh, and yeah, uh, it was a great conversation and Kim C is awesome. So uh, glad to glad to have her on that show for uh, for 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 a minute or couple hours (laughs) awesome yeah 
Um, okay, so Tiny, uh, that does it for news and check-ins. Do you want to dive into the main event of the episode? Absolutely. Let's go for it. Alrighty. So what we, as we normally do, we're going to be reviewing, um, the short story 1408, which can be found in everything's eventual, which was published in 2002. Um, this story was originally published in blood and smoke in 1999, which is an audiobook in which Stephen King, uh, read three of his own short stories. Um, and then eventually, uh, two of them or, Oh, all three of them were, um, published into uh, everything's eventual so um yeah so uh since it's a short story do you want to just go into like free free form spoiler talk um like anything is up for game uh, up for games in terms of the short story and then when we do the movie review we can do a non-spoiler and spoiler review yeah, yeah, that works. Okay, cool. Okay, so uh, 1408, like I said, was uh, published in 1999 in Blood and Smoke and then collected in Everything's Eventual. Tiny, was this your first time reading the short story? Yes, first time for both. Oh, interesting. Ah, I was I was curious if you had seen 1408 at any point because um, mm-hmm. I hadn't either. Um, this for me was my second or third time reading 1408, but, um, what did you, what did you think about it and what, what things kind of stood out about it for you? Um, I, I definitely liked it. I liked it Mm -hmm. a lot. Um, I, I think the premise is just a great idea. Um, Mm -hmm. because it's, you know, Stephen King has done hotels before, uh, as, as we all know. Um, and I feel like, it'd be easy for him to kind of jump back into that playground and basically do a derivative of what he did with the shining. Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily the whole shining, but I mean, you know, like p- pick just a, a haunted room, you know, like yeah. a room two, three, seven again, you mm-hmm. know, um, do something like that. Um, but he, you know, totally took it a different direction. I, I think, I think this was a, um it was a an attempt to bend the genre a little bit because it wasn't a straight up ghost story or like a haunting story it's way more than that and i really appreciated that um i think the structure was a little goofy because it's it's very short it's i i listened to the audiobook and it's like 90 minutes yeah um and and i feel like half of that was set up Mm-hmm. Um, which is fine because that's like that's like my favorite part actually. I really love the um his whole conversation with Olin is like maybe my favorite part of the story. I don't know. Yeah. I just I love that build up is really cool and it it reminded me of like some of the history of the Overlook Hotel. Mm-hmm. I mean that's what it made me think of. And um, even though again it's kind of derivative of The Shining, especially very derivative of The Shining. Um. I didn't care because it was just entertaining and fun. And, you know, if I had just read the shining a month ago or something, I'd be like, Oh, what the fuck? But <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's, it's far enough removed from that, that I, I just didn't mind. Um, so, so entertaining, but then, you know, once he actually gets to the room and I'm, I'm not saying it wasn't good and, or, or like that it was bad or anything, but I feel like it just felt really rushed. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like there was a lot of opportunity there that 
wasn't explored maybe, or he didn't, didn't take a lot of the paths that he could have, I guess. Um, you know, it, it was fine. Um, but I, I, I just, I kind of appreciated the first half more than anything. Um, but uh, and the ending was pretty cool as well. Uh, I, I did like the ending. So yeah, mm-hmm. uh, it was it was a fun little read. You know, it's only ninety minutes. Uh, that's it's kind of you know it's it's fun to consume short stories. I've really appreciated that. It's something I admittedly need to do more of. So um, yeah, this is a good one. Yeah, you know, I'm trying to find if this was the one that I thought it was, but um, basically. My understanding, I think that it was this one. I don't have my notes readily available. But basically, um, I believe that he said that... Actually, it's right here in the book. Anyway, yeah, um, I really like this story. Um, It is, like you said, very derivative, or it's similar to... um, It's it's very similar to, uh, to, to The Shining, especially... Uh, that first section of 1408 feels like it is like an alternate version of like Jack Torrance meeting uh, Mr. Ullman at the Overlook and like learning about things. But King had said um, in the author's note, um, he said uh, the only unusual thing, blah, blah, blah. He said, I wrote the first three or four pages as part of an appendix for my on writing book, wanting to show readers how a story evolves from first draft to second. Most of all, I wanted to provide concrete examples of the principles I had been blathering about in the text, but something nice happened. The story seduced me and I ended up writing all of it. Um, I think that what scares us uh, uh, varies wildly from uh, varies widely from one individual to the, to the next. Um, but this story scared me while I was working on it. And then he also, well, I'll save that for later. But anyway, um, he goes on to say that hotel rooms are, are, uh, very different, um, like very scary and everything. And that the words that he says in that are lifted and used in dialogue in the movie, uh, which I thought was a nice, um, nice homage, but, um, but it's interesting that, I feel like if I could like make an excuse for how it's kind of derivative of The Shining is that, you know, he started it by just using it as a writing exercise and talking about just like the mechanics of writing. Um, so maybe that's why um, that's the case. But it it breathes on its own like it does its own like it it forges its own path and tells its own story about a skeptic who is very much he, he a skeptic who is profiting off of uh other people's beliefs um in the supernatural in hauntings and he encounters haunting um and i really like that and it does feel like a self-contained um it 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 feels like basically king was taking the beginning of the shining and uh jack and danny's scenes uh of them in room 217 and just like riffing on that um but like i said he kind of makes it it makes it its own thing about skepticism and and proof of of hauntings and uh it's it's really it's really solid i really really enjoyed it um you had mentioned that it gets a little goofy um, and how the actual haunting aspects in the room, uh, 
I feel like you did you say that they didn't really work for you or were they just not up to your liking? How did you feel about them? It just felt rushed to me. That's like, right. In the in the context of the whole story, it's like an hour and a half, you know, however many pages <clears throat> that is. Um and half of it is set up, you know, like 45 mm-hmm. minutes of what I listened to was set up and his conversation with Olin. And that was all really good and felt like meaty. And there was mm-hmm. a lot there, but then this felt like rushed. I feel like this should have been like an hour and a half in and of itself or two hours yeah. or whatever, but I don't know. Maybe that's just me. No, I definitely get that. Um, I don't know that I had any issues with the pacing or with, with the brief nature of it more, more, uh, more importantly to me, I was I was more kind of taken with the interesting narrative choices with it, like the narrative structure where um, we kind of have like this third person or the third person perspective narrator who is recounting what is on the tape. And we're kind of the journey through his experience, through Mike's experience in room 1408 is basically a recounting of what is being transmitted from a tape that he recorded in it. And that is a very unique and interesting kind of uh, viewpoint to bring us into the haunting experience because it in and of itself is disorienting and crazy and wild and all over the place. And to have it be presented to us through like these fragments of um, audio that was recorded in the room is really, really interesting to me. And and that's what kind of really held my attention through the increasing craziness of, of the uh, things going on in, in 1408. Okay. That's fair. Yeah. I kind of forgot about the whole, the whole narrative style of someone mm-hmm. finding the tape. That is, that is a cool um, tool to use, I guess, to draw out of the, out of the toolbox, if you will, to yeah. stick with the analogy. Yeah. That's uh that's cool. Yeah, I guess I, I maybe I should have paid a little closer. I wish I could have listened to it again. Oh yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, that's that's true. I guess I kind of uh, forgot about that or discounted that. That's fair. And and like it does to your point about it feeling rushed. I mean, it is definitely rushed. It does feel rushed, especially. It kind of it kind of feels like, and maybe this is a bias on my part, or maybe this is just. Uh, whatever because in my head i'm i'm thinking of the author's note where he says that he originally wrote the first few pages as a as a writing exercise uh for an example in the book and on writing but um it kind of seems like the story is broken up into two pieces it's that prologue where he's talking to to olin and he's he's learning about the events in in the room and and it's setting the stage for that and then we have the haunting the crazy horror stuff and it feels like this is like a brief like 50 page excursion through two sides of Stephen King's like writing strengths so like we have like the character like backstory and just conversation that he is just so great at and then we immediately go into the like oh crazy stuff is happening um with increased tension and increased like uh, just detail and, and disorientation and crazy, scary stuff that it does feel a little bit, um, a little bit lopsided because like, to your point, we do spend a lot of time in that buildup. We do spend a lot of time learning about the hotel and the history of the room. And it feels like, it kind of feels like King 
couldn't help himself to uh to keeping it as a whole brief like it feels like he again going back to the to the author's note it feels like he had an idea started writing it and then like he was going to keep it short and sweet and then he it it got its hooks into him and so he had no choice but to uh but to to feed the beast and detail a bunch of stuff and then partway through he's like oh yeah this was supposed to be like an exercise okay we'll just throw a bunch of crazy stuff which works for me but <laughs> yeah. and then call it a day um but like i don't know i i just kind of feel like had this not been a short story and if the shining didn't exist the way that it does this could have been a full-fledged novel that he could have he could have really uh built upon Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, I did, I did like some of the, some of the simplicity of the story. Like, um, for example, right when he, like before he even goes in the room, like he, he's looking at the door and it's like canted to one side, looks back and it's straight. And then like, I, I appreciated the, the simplicity of that as like an appetizer, if that makes sense. Um, that's that was just fun and i was like and, and maybe that was like you know part of the it was part of the build-up too and i was by that point i was so built up i was really excited to get to the crazy part and like i had never seen the movie but i had seen like the trailer and the previews for mm-hmm. it and it looked pretty wild and i was like man it looks like there's some crazy shit going on yeah. in this uh this uh, hotel room and so that's kind of what i was thinking and I, and I feel like reading the book i didn't i didn't get there i didn't i didn't get to the images i had in my head from like that i remember from the trailer and stuff and Uh, um maybe that's that's partly just uh mismanaged expectations i think or not not going into it with a clean you know a clean perspective hmm. or just expecting too much i guess but uh but uh yeah i I, I did like a lot of the simplicity of the story Mm -hmm. That's fair. And and to be honest, I'm I'm curious how the movie review is going to go because there's a lot like a lot of stuff added into the movie obviously. Uh it's it expands yeah. upon it in a lot of ways, but I mean, spoiler for the movie review, but I really liked it. I think it it was pretty strong. Um and and Same yeah. Here. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about that, but um but yeah, something else that struck me about the story, which is something I brought up on Patreon, um, and I'm going to try not to make this a plug for Patreon, I promise. But um, having said that, um, I am planning a series of Patreon reviews starting in January that I'm dubbing Flanagan Friday, where I review something st- uh, uh, Mike Flanagan related every Friday. Um, I'm currently going through the haunting of Hill house episode by episode. So those will start posting in January. Um, but anyway, uh, shameless self-promotion aside, something that struck me about, uh, about 1408, the short story. And it's something that I don't have enough knowledge to really dive into. Um, because I haven't, something that struck me about it was kind of similarities between the, the story and, um, and the haunting of hill house so the premise of 1408 is mike uh Re- Reslin, um Rinslin. Rinslin. 
and Enslin. Enslin, yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Mike Enslin is a writer who writes about paranormal stuff who is who does not believe in paranormal stuff, and he goes to a room and witnesses paranormal stuff. Now, The Haunting of Hill House, the first episode is Stephen sees a ghost, and that plot is Stephen Crane is a person who writes paranormal like nonfiction uh and is very popular at it he does not believe in the supernatural he goes to a house in that first episode and he spends the night there and he works through whether or not there's a supernatural presence or not um and the thing that i found so interesting is that i i haven't done my due diligence because i haven't read shirley jackson's novel uh the haunting of hill house um so i don't know if the skeptic author plot of the haunting of hill house is from the novel or if that's something that mike flanagan put into the show either way i think it's just an interesting um an interesting uh thing that it either or someone is influenced by someone else so Stephen King was either influenced by Shirley Jackson, which I know that he is a fan of Shirley Jackson. He he uses uh he uses some um some some of her writing from The Haunting of Hill House as like an epigraph in Salem's Lot. Um but I don't know if he was paying homage to her with 1408 or if Mike Flanagan uh, was paying homage to 1408 by incorporating that part of Steven uh, as a character in the show. And so, I don't know. I just, I just, I'll, I'll eventually read The Haunting of Hill House and figure out for myself. But I just think that that's an interesting, an interesting thing through horror history, I guess. It's a horror <clears throat> orgy. Yes, yes. Horror, <laughs> horrorception. <laughs> um, horrorception. <laughs> um, that's funny. I'd forgotten about that part of hill house mm. i have not watched that in a while since it came out mm. um i need to rewatch it uh also i have i have downloaded uh, i bought it on um uh, uh audible audible haunt uh shirley jackson's a haunting of hill house so i need to nice. i need to read that um yeah it's funny you bring that up but yeah that's yeah. that's a really good point um mm. that's uh yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to how that all links together too. But um yeah. I I was curious how you what you thought of the ending of this book because you know we you can't talk about Stephen King without talking about was this one of his good endings, was this one of his bad endings, <laughs> right. was this one of his end times where he was just like, Fuck it, endings don't matter, or let's just get this done. Um I really liked this one actually. I, I thought um yeah. I, I mean obviously it's it's an obvious conclusion to draw that the skeptic is no longer skeptic, right? That's, I mean, that's that's the fun part of the story, right? We all knew that was going to kind of happen, but I I like the way that the the fact that he is a skeptic, I feel like, kind of saved him mm-hmm. because he uses he 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 keeps these little facts and these little pieces of reality stored away in his head that he has, you know, he's it's easy to look at the cigarette behind the ear as a a goofy little MacGuffin or like mm-hmm. a little um funny little character trait that makes a boring character interesting. Mm-hmm. Um I'm sure there's a term for that that I don't know. Um but you know it's 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 a bit of a a bit of a trope, right? Mm-hmm. A bit of a not always creative trope to have a character that has a goofy little thing like that. Oh I have keep a cigarette behind my ear or whatever. Yeah. Um 
but it's something that comes up and plays a role in the story along with the book of matches that he has and his goofy Hawaiian shirt. Like it's all these kind of quirky little things that are mm-hmm. maybe forgettable throwaway pieces that he actually uses to snap back to reality and like escape this literal nightmare. And he sets himself slash the room on fire to like force himself out of there. And it's like, I feel like all those things would have been dismissed in other stories or Mm. just been one-off little things. And I I love how that all came together in the end. And then we end up with our once skeptic lying on the floor using what could be his last breath to tell somebody don't go in there. Yeah. Just, I I love the conglomeration and the, uh, I love it when a plan comes together, you know, Uh, (laughs) it was just, it was just a fun comeuppance of everything. Mm -hmm. And I, I really, uh, I appreciate it. I thought it was a really good ending. Yeah, I totally agree. And um, it, it's worth noting, I guess, that um, the the Blood and Smoke um, audiobook uh, collection that I referenced that has uh, Stephen King reading three of his own short stories, um, the kind of uh, the gimmick of that was that all three stories had something like the plot had something to do with smoking. And like even the cover design of the audiobook like is supposed to look like a cigarette case, um, which is a weird gimmick that is weird. But um, but it's interesting that it does tie in, obviously, in the story. But um, yeah, those those like little pieces of of context like are things that would otherwise just basically make him make the character just a little bit more three-dimensional, like little quirks here and there could be like shortcuts to um, information about him that you don't really like. That's more just for set dressing and the way, like you said, the way it comes together is really nice. And and, uh, there is a sense of completion to the story. And the fact that he like, he it didn't go the easy horror route by having him like die and there being no like really like no uh no real growth for his character because he would have died or like it's it could have just ended with the shock of him setting himself on fire to escape but instead it's no he grew from the experience he now knows like that these things are real and um yeah he he lives to write another book. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I, I definitely like it. it. It is a very interesting, um, ending for, for, uh, King in terms of, uh, short fiction. Um, and weirdly sort of uplifting, um, sort of, I guess, I don't know if uplifting is the word. I don't know about uplifting, <laughs> but I do think it's a positive ending. Yeah. 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 Positive ending, right. at least in terms of growth for the character. Yeah, and the world yeah. is i mean the world's a better place it's like it's yeah. the world is kept safe because i feel like you know there's these people working to keep the the evil of 1408 at bay and mm-hmm. mike enslin finds a way around that and he's famous and he's mixed up in this big thing so now there's probably i don't know that's just my maybe my uh positive spin on it because what's yeah. probably more realistic is that people are like oh did you hear about this famous writer who almost died in his hotel room let's go check it out and yeah that's probably the more realistic thing, but I like to think that everyone's like, well, we need to stay the fuck away from there because, right. you know, it almost killed this 
famous writer. I don't know. Yeah, I'm just kind of kind of spinning my wheels now. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it was it was a fun little story. I I like it. Yeah, yeah, I do too. Um, nice. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. If I, like, do we have anything more to say about the story? <laughs> I don't think so. The beautiful thing is yeah. we got the movie to talk about too. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, yeah, I I will ask you this you said that you uh, thought about uh going back and and reading some other everything's eventual stories um <clears throat> yeah i know any, you any said rex any any hot rex for me absolutely i would say um actually there are a couple that i actually reviewed with uh kim c on the podcast previously um but lt's theory of pets is one of my absolute favorites from this collection um right. It is, and and I've I've sang this from the from like the mountains, but basically, the the audiobook version of it is a a freaking treat. It is <laughs> wonderful because it is Stephen King reading it to an audience in I think somewhere in the UK. And like, it's just, it's a live read of it. It's not like an audiobook. He's not like reading it as an audiobook. He's just doing a live read for an audience. And yeah. the man's just command of the audience is <laughs> wonderful. Like it is, it is so entertaining. Cause like, just like the, <laughs> the intro part of it, when he is just, when he's just like introducing himself or when he first read, first gets to the, um, uh gets to the stage and is introducing himself like the the clever like wordplay that he does there is just a lot of fun it's it's a blast but um that's That's cool i like that idea i don't think i've ever like experienced an audiobook that way oh nice yeah i highly recommend it but um but yeah but i will say that episode 69 of tower junkies uh i reviewed lt's theory of pets and all that you love will be carried away both are in everything's eventual they are my two favorite short stories in this collection um, and I reviewed those with Kim C back in episode 69. I definitely recommend those two stories and that episode of the podcast. Um, Sweet. Yeah. Uh, and all that you love will be carried away. Like it's, it, it's interesting because this collection has a very uh, good share of atypical Stephen King stories. So like LT's theory of pets is about um, the narrator telling a like the narrator of that story telling a story about his coworker his coworker's habit of telling the story of how his coworker and his wife were like became like separated or or what have you and it's through the kind of prism of uh the basic premise is that um they had two pets a dog and a cat the dog, uh, like one of them was, was, uh, was the husband's. One of them was the wives, wife's and, uh, throughout the course of them, like having the pets, they switched like the one, like, uh, the, the cat kind of bonded with the, with the husband and the dog bonded with the, with the wife. Um, but in, in perfect steaming King fashion, it has this very, just sudden darkness to it that really brings home like the themes of it really well. Um, and then all that you love will be carried away is a beautiful like story about, 
um, a guy who is at the end of his rope and is contemplating uh, doing something terrible. And uh, it's it's really it's really just beautiful. It's it's beautiful. So yeah. Wow. Okay. Nice. Yep. Yep. Um. <clears throat> so I recommend those. And uh. And yeah. Uh. Do you want to go on to talk about the movie adaptation of fourteen oh eight from two thousand seven? Yes, sir. All righty. So, uh, of course, this one for this review, we're going to do a non-spoiler review and spoiler review. I'll play a clip from the trailer to bring us into the spoiler section, or you can check the show notes for timestamps. Uh, you can also find those timestamps at towerjunkiespod.com slash 093. Um, and to bring us into this review, um, and by the way, if you like this format of a review and everything, check out Obsessive Viewer, which is, this is what we do in every episode. Um, but 1408 was released on june 22nd 2007 the premise according to imdb is a man who specializes in debunking paranormal occurrences checks into the fabled room 1408 in the dolphin hotel soon after settling in he confronts genuine terror uh, director for the movie was mikhail hafstrom and writers were matt greenberg scott alexander and larry karazuski um, and of course, it was based on the short story by Stephen King. The cast includes John Cusack, Samuel L. Jackson, Mary McCormick, and Tony Shalhoub. Um, and Tiny, uh, in non-spoilers, how did you feel about the movie adaptation of 1408? I was very, very pleasantly surprised by this movie. I... Um kind of loved it actually like i i i was just not expecting it at all i think when this when this came out back in the day i thought it looked a little hokey and just a little um maybe a little low budget to me or something and uh i was a big douchebag because i was 20 (laughs) years old um i just i like borderline hated john cusack oh yeah which is bullshit like i I'm I'm still not I would not consider myself a John Cusack fan like but I've liked him in certain things didn't like him in certain things I've never understood like if someone told me like oh I love John Cusack I would just be like why like <laughs> tell me why like what I, I mean I've I've never been blown away by John Cusack mm-hmm. um and so I I kind of wrote it off for for those reasons back in the day which again that's kind of bullshit but um so I watching this now I I I was just very pleasantly surprised at how much I liked this. Um, I love, really love the changes and additions. Really, additions is, is probably mm-hmm. the better better word to use uh, that they made to the story and to the character of Mike Enslin. I thought they were really good ideas that added layers to the story, layers to the character. Um, I, I have a few criticisms, but um, I mean, I, I gave this like four out of five stars, um, nice. which just surprised the hell out of me. I mean, I just was not expecting to do that. I I teared up and like cried at a part of the movie. Wow. I, just, I was not expecting that at all. I was watching it on my phone, sitting on the floor on my lunch break. <laughs> my phone, I didn't have anywhere to sit. Like I worked a lot of construction sites and there's not like places to hang out. So like I was like sitting on the floor with my phone box watching this movie today and tear fell down my face i was like what the nice. fuck this is just so unexpected um <laughs> yeah uh, i i really really liked it nice that is very that's very good to hear um 
I I liked it too. I think I I, I ended up I'm going to end up rating it on Letterboxd at uh, 3.5 out of five stars. Um, but I really enjoyed it. This was my first time seeing it as well. Um, the uh, the emotion emotional aspect of it didn't quite work on me for reasons I'll talk about in spoilers. Um, but the thing I was struck by is that like, like you, I am not, I would not say that I'm a diehard John Cusack fan. Um, at best I've enjoyed his performances in some things like, I mean, hot tub time machine and like high fidelity was really good, but I also just kind of like, there's something about him that just kind of grates on my nerves in that. Cause it's very, uh, I mean, you have to like, like he is very just a downer. Um, <laughs> He's a douchebag. Yeah, exactly. Um, but something that just really clicked with me with 1408 is that his general demeanor in this movie, which is his general demeanor in just about every role I've seen him in. Um, there's nothing really that new or interesting that he does that I've seen in terms of what he does as an actor, but there is just something so quintessentially Stephen King about his performance. Um, like I feel like that just general persona of John Cusack as like just kind of not sad sack, but kind of like a, very soft spoken or quiet talking, uh, person, uh, feels like that, that is like the embodiment of that quintessential Stephen King writer character that's in like most of King's work. And I think that it, it's something that comes across really well in this movie. Um, I think that's really, that, that's really great. Um, For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I thought that Samuel L. Jackson was underused, but also there's really no way to really do more. (laughs) I had the exact same comment. Like, I wish I had more Samuel L, but, uh, how, how, how can you do it? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Like you, the entire, the entire premise, which is also something I found really impressive, um, about the finished product of the movie is that, I mean, the entire premise is this guy is stuck in a room. It's, it's a single man in a room and crazy stuff is happening. It's all disorienting. The, the, uh, the real, (laughs) this is going to sound so, so cliche and, and goofy. Um, but the real character is the room 1408. Um, but no, like it, it, Oh shit. You're right. 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 Oh, wait till you hear what I think about New York City in this movie. Um, but, (laughs) (laughs) um, but no, like, I feel like the, the main focus of the movie, the, the biggest, uh, strength of the movie is in the variety and the escalation of the terror that happens within this confined space. And it's not even a confined space because the movie just allows itself to just branch out and create like this, not psychedelic, but like this very psychological horror experience for, for the character. And I think that that in terms of like pacing and variety and just never letting up and never like not escalating basically like even when it seems like things are kind of calming down a little bit 
we still as the audience know like oh yeah there, there's too much runtime left for this to be like anything other than you know building up towards something insane um and so just the pacing the way that it's presented is just very very well done and uh was really great at holding my attention throughout throughout the entire movie and keeping me very much engaged with it and it's one of those things that like it's 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 a great Stephen King adaptation because it takes what works in King's story and I think that this is mostly due to it just being, you know, short fiction. Um, and it expands upon that in ways that gets what the story's about and what the story is going for. And I think that that, that combination just really works incredibly well in the finished product. Hell yeah, man. I fully agree with all that. Yeah, yes. that's pretty much exactly what I was going to say. Um, I, I think the the addition of, you know, giving giving Mike Enslin a family, he's dealt with loss, that, like, if, if you just had Mike Enslin from the book, this would have been, like, a forgettable movie. Because oh, yeah. I think, I think um, for me, the, the emotional journey was potent. And mm. I, I just, it just really worked for me. Nice. Um, and, and that was, like, my favorite part of the, the, the movie, for sure. Um, but... I think without that, it would have been a just a forgettable movie. Like I, I, I don't, I, not forgettable, but just mm. so so much less meat on the bone. Yeah. For for the uh, for this this movie to deal with, you know, I, I I just I really love that part. Yes, and uh, before we get into spoil, I'll expand on this in spoilers, but um, I felt like the. Uh, the personal history aspect of of Mike Enslin in this movie, I appreciated it. I appreciated the emotional journey and what what like the character arc for this for this version of the character in this medium versus what's in the what's in the short story. I just think that that whole subplot that entire like all of that was introduced kind of way too late in the movie for me to really latch on to it um because suddenly we get a ton of exposition like we get a ton of detail as to where he's at in his life and then like from there we understand like oh yeah now things are happening that are going to play into that part of his life and i'm just like I kind of wish we would have known about that before so that it would it wouldn't be played up like a surprise but instead play it up as slowly like slowly transitioning from uh the crazy horror stuff and crazy like uh jump scare stuff and just uh gradually bleed that over into this emotional horror stuff but give us the context earlier so that we're not kind of gobsmacked by like, oh, yeah, by the way, this happened to him. And now the room is going to feed off of that rather like introduce us to him as, oh, this thing happened. This is why he is the way that he is and why he's in this position and everything. Oh, crazy stuff is happening. Now we're going to do the, the the emotional stuff. So I don't know that that was my biggest complaint about the movie. But even then. I, at the end of the day, I still really enjoyed it. So it's it's a minor complaint, and I appreciate that they included that emotional stuff in the movie. Um, I just I just think it could have been done better. 
That is totally valid. I hadn't actually considered that, but um, we you're right. We could have used some uh, a better introduction to that mm. backstory, and it could have been present much earlier. I, if that's that's a good point. I, I totally agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, um, not a spoiler. One of my like the best line in the movie is uh, Samuel L. Jackson Jackson just just saying. It's an evil fucking room. Yes. Like, I'm God, that's just such a great line because like, how do you describe this? Like, you know, you, you want to like dive into all like, oh, it's like the haunting and it like it, it taps into your, it's a haunted room. It taps into your psyche and it yeah. picks things from trauma from your past. And it, and you're just like, <laughs> like, no, just let, let's, let's Samuel break it down. Yeah. It's an evil fucking room. And yep. like Samuel L saying fuck is like the rest of us saying hello. So. Oh, absolutely. You know, in a PG thirteen movie, and you know the MPAA was just like, yeah, whatever. You <laughs> yeah. know, it's you get one, and yeah, does that even count as the one? We can give him a second one because <laughs> right. it's, it's Samuel. It's exactly. Samuel J. We'll let him get away with a couple. Um, absolutely. I I just I love that. That was just a great fucking line. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, and it's great too because it is, like you said, it is just it is, it's all the information we need. We don't need to know the history of the room. We don't need to know what the source of the haunting is. We just know that it's an evil fucking room and crazy stuff is going to happen. Um, and I think that that is such a smart way to present it and smart and, and confident way to present it. Um, because like, especially since it's King and King is very much known for having a lot of detail in a lot of his work um adapting something that doesn't have a lot of that to begin with like i could see the urge to expand on that and get mired in the details of that rather than what we got in the finished product which is yeah let's let's just go ahead it's we don't need to know exactly what the deal is we don't need to know like, we don't need some big exposition dump of the backstory of it. We just need to know that crazy stuff is going to happen. And if the, we'll trust that the audience follows along and that the audience buys into it. And because of that, because of that, like, confidence, I bought into it hook, line, and sinker. And I thought it was fantastic. Nice. Uh, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um, we would be remiss if we didn't uh, mention the appearance of senator clay davis himself yes yes he got to that front door and was just like Shee. that was awesome that in in yeah yeah that was awesome i was He's very a, very pleased such a great character actor like yeah like he, like that's a nothing part like yeah. he has maybe three or four lines mm. And he, it's just so fun because he's like, I'm not coming in there. I'm yeah. not going in that room. Like, it's just his. <laughs> uh, I just, he's fun. I just, uh, yeah. he's fun. I, I love every I time love he pops him. up. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, kind of on a similar note, this is nothing. I mean, this is, this is an anecdote, but I was uh, tickled to see Tony Shalhoub pop up. Um, <laughs> specifically because I've said it before in our 10 years podcasts, uh, podcasters. But uh, one of my favorite shows growing up was the sitcom Wings, uh, which was Cheers in an Airport. But um, what's interesting is that I did not know that Tony Shalhoub had appeared in anything Stephen King related. And he has a very limited role in this. But I just think it's interesting that like 
of the cast of Wings, like Tony Shalhoub popped up here. Uh, Steven Weber was in the 90s uh, Shining uh, miniseries. And Tim yeah. Daly was in Storm of the Century. <laughs> um, I'm just wow, like, there's like, funny. yeah, I'm just like, there's like a, a conspiracy. Like I, I went to, I went to the Wings IMDb page and I was looking at all the other actors and uh, no, I don't think any of them have been in anything King related. Well, what, um, what can we get Thomas Hayden Church in next? I, you know? Right? Yeah. <laughs> um, interestingly enough, I this is this is I'm so sorry, uh, a tangent, but uh, is it Rebecca Shaw, um, who played Faye in Wings? Uh-huh. Uh She is ninety. What? I think she's like ninety nine. Uh, no, Damn. no, no, not ninety nine. Jesus, no. Uh, she is. I can't math. Um, <laughs> she is twenty-three minus. Okay, yeah, she is ninety-four years old. Damn. Yeah, and she is. She appeared in um, the Peacock uh, time travel um, uh, rom-com uh, Meet Cute uh, last year. No shit. Yeah. I was like, wow, oh, that fuck. is that's wild. Call her ass up too. Shit. Let's yeah. let's uh let's uh make it a let's try to get the whole remaining cast of the wings and exactly and, and, and the Stephen King verse. I'm I'm game for it, man. Yeah. Mike Flanagan, if you're listening, get her on to the life of Chuck. Um <laughs> or or I mean, yeah. The Dark Thomas Tower? Church can play Tuck Chuck. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, Tom Hiddleston's already oh, okay, committed. Well, yeah, yeah. I, I accept that. Yes. Oh, yes. Which I believe that they just finished. I think they finished filming it. Oh, sweet. Okay. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So, anyway, uh, that's that's the little um, fun little anecdote about a '90s sitcom that I yeah. love. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, do you want to go into spoilers for fourteen oh eight Tiny, or yeah. is there anything yeah. else we want to talk about? Um, trying to think. Uh, I don't. I don't think so. I think. Uh, I just real briefly wanted to say I really appreciated. Like before, I was before we get to like the third act. Like as I was watching this before we got to the third act, and I was really into this movie. Um, I was really appreciate. I was trying to like find things to latch onto. I really appreciated the set the set pieces yeah. of this movie like like it, it really it, it stuck out to me I, it felt fairly practical like obviously there's cgi but um it, it felt pretty pretty grounded like they built a lot of sets of the of room 1408 and they stuck to this kind of cool like i like turn of the century kind of style or like this like art deco-y kind of looking stylings of this room and it just it felt it felt like how I wanted that room to look and the way they altered it with the not hallucinations, but the, mm -hmm. the, you know, the evolving level of horror that Mike Enslin's going through, they just really fully committed to it. And, you know, by the end, yeah. it's like, it's like a ruin that he's existing in and trying to get out of. And I just really appreciated this. this there, there, there's a cool part. Well, I guess we'll talk about it in, in spoilers, but, um, there's there's just a really cool part that I was like not expecting at all, and and it it was it involved the set, and it was just 
really cool and and i i that doesn't all that stuff doesn't always jump out to me so uh I really appreciate it. Nice. I definitely agree. And we'll talk more about that in spoilers. But um, yeah, let's let's go into spoilers then. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we're going to go into spoilers for the movie 1408. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, I'll play a clip from the trailer. When we come back, we're going to be spoiling 1408. So go watch it if you haven't seen it yet. As of right now, I don't think it's really streaming anywhere. We watched a digital copy on my Voodoo account. Um, so, uh, hack into my voodoo account. Um, but, uh, but yeah, but find a way to watch it and then come back and listen to our spoiler discussion. Here's a clip from the trailer for 1408. Gerald Olin, manager of the Dolphin. If I can just get the key to 1408. In the 95 years of the hotel's existence, there have been 56 deaths in 1408. 56. No one's ever lasted more than an hour. First victims to Kevin O'Malley. Cut his own throat. Do not stay in that room. Okay, so spoilers on for 1408. And I wanted I wanted to touch on a couple of things that probably could have been in non-spoilers, but um there were a few different things that I interpreted. Well, I guess these would be in spoilers. So um I interpreted several things as potential Stephen King references to other Stephen King works. Um and I wonder if you picked up on any of these. Um, a couple of them are kind of deep cuts, um, <laughs> or at least one of them is, um, but I'm going okay. to, I, I, yeah, it's funny because like on like, uh, social media and stuff, since Taylor Swift is huge right now, um, there's a lot of, uh, stuff that's like, oh, like this, like decoding her secret messages and stuff and like figure like Easter eggs for things like, uh, and then like, I just like, when I see that, I'm just like, oh, that's a little crazy. And then here I am like, okay, I wonder if this is a reference to this. Um, right. <laughs> but, uh, basically I'll run down a few of them. So, um, when he, uh, goes out onto the ledge to walk across the ledge to get to the other room, to the next, the next door room to get to the window, um, that this is a deep cut, but that like, I kind of squealed with glee because I feel like that intentionally or unintentionally is like a reference to one of the coolest short stories in uh night shift, which I have long said is just like a, a freaking, uh, I don't use this word a lot, but a freaking gnarly short story collection. Like that is him writing to put food on the table and he is going to some crazy wild places that is just it's wild um it's the collection that um um uh, uh the manglers and that we that we both read um just yeah. crazy crazy king but anyway was that was that cocaine king by any chance i i you know i don't know because that was in right. The early to mid 70s. So it was definitely before he got clean. I don't know if he had okay. picked up the habit yet. Um, gotcha. uh, but he, but anyway, that, that story, The Ledge, I think it's called The Ledge. Um, basically, uh, from what I remember, it's like the, uh, a guy is lured to like a penthouse apartment of, 
the uh, owned by like the husband of the woman that he is having an affair with. And the husband says that, you know, you can have her, but, um, but the, like, uh, but I will, I will kill her and you unless you walk around the perimeter of this high rise apartment uh, on this like little like foot foot long uh, ledge that goes all around the building. And the entire story is him trying to go all around the building on this very small ledge. And it is, oh, as, as someone who is deeply acrophobic, it is like, I can't, I can't read the paperback edition of that because I don't want my hands to ruin the the pages and the ink because I like like I will like my hands sweat so much from uh from being just terrified of reading it because of the nature of the story and my absolute horror horrifying fear of heights. Um damn. Yes. That's, that's an endorsement right there. Yes. So I was very happy when uh, Mike Enslin walked on the ledge in this movie. Nice. Uh, intentional reference or not, it's up. It's up in the air. But <laughs> uh, but the big one that I feel like this is kind of a, an obvious one, but I don't know if this was obviously intentional or anything. But the door in the middle of the room that he opens, it reminded me of the doors in the drawing of the three. Um, word word classic um and then finally uh when we get the whole oh not finally i have two more i have two more total so uh before i get to the finally one um paintings the paintings kind of coming to life to an extent or him being kind of in like this very just weird mesh of uh of like the sea painting um, reminded me vaguely of like Duma Key. Um, and I feel like maybe there's other Stephen King stuff that that could also be referencing. But, um, but then finally, the final one that I have is, uh, toward the end, uh, when we have the fake out where he gets out of the room, he wakes up in the hospital and he and his wife are reconciling and he's working through what happened and everything. Um, them at the restaurant talking about things reminded me so like almost to the point of plagiarism <laughs> that it reminded me of the ending of misery. Um, yes. like I just, I got that vibe. So anyway, what your thoughts, I, tiny, <laughs> I had the same thought and in, in nice. the restaurant part, me too. Um, especially the movie misery. Yep. Um, the, the only thing that really jumped out to me as far as a reference uh, it was actually the book or the mm. short story. Um, he, there's a I can't remember exactly what he says, but there's a brief part where he's talking about the light of the room, and it it briefly or it gave me kind of a flash of like maybe the deadlights. Oh it. yeah, just a little bit because I mean you know we don't know what the source of this evil is, mm-hmm. um, and it kind of taps into what you're afraid of, or you know it gets into who you are as a person and that's very much Pennywise the clownish kind of thing. So yep. um that kind of made me think of uh, of that a little bit. So that's the only like connection I really made, I think. 
Um, there may, may be another one, but uh, yeah, but that's that's the main one. Obviously, The Shining, but we, we talked oh, about yeah. that already. Yeah. So um, the the set piece I was going to talk about mm. in spoilers was I the part where he's the room is faking him out and mm. makes him think that he got out and he's back in L.A. At first, I was like, I hope this is not the end of the movie. I hope Same. they didn't do this. Because I was like, fuck you. That's lazy as shit. And I don't like that. Um, but then, I literally, the walls crumbled down. And we find out that he's still trapped in the hotel room. I I just thought that was really cool. I, I just appreciated the practicality of that mm-hmm. scene and that moment. Like, I think the fact that the characters that were around him in the post office in LA were people from the hotel. Yeah. Was kind of goofy. Cause it's like, we don't, we don't know these people. Like we didn't, no one took a note of what those people looked like. And like, you <laughs> literally had to show us who they were in a flashback. Cause no one remembered any of those people. It's, it's a very mid 2000, like mid, mid aughts kind of reveal thriller reveal. <laughs> totally like that part was kind of lazy and yeah. kind of goofy and frankly i did not need it I, mm-hmm. I didn't i didn't need that at all but what i really liked was the part where they literally start destroying the post office and and it reveals the hotel behind it yep that was cool as shit i thought and again it looked really practical like it could have been this uh lazy or not 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 lazy but like an easy cgi move to just have the walls crumble away or melt mm-hmm. away and it would have been you know decently effective and i wouldn't have hated it or anything yeah. but i just think the fact that you had these guys with like sledgehammers literally breaking down the walls like in a in like a practical movie set way like they're breaking through like the gr- the glass door and stuff like i just thought that was really cool and like i i don't know for whatever reason i thought it was a fun way to do that and, and i just yeah. really enjoyed that part that was just kind of cool frankly Totally. And like, I also really appreciated the way that this movie utilized jump scares. Um, <clears throat> like jump scare kind of feels like a four letter word in the horror genre in movies. Um, and when they're done not well, um, or when they're used specifically as a crutch, um, it, it is it is terrible like it doesn't work but in this movie because obviously because it's a very small confined space uh when we have those moments that are like the music playing on the on the on the radio um it often comes with something um secondary to it so like the the quick uh the very loud jump of like oh the music's playing and then he turns around and uh, there's mints on the pillow and then like later the the display on the clock is having a countdown and it's crazy and scary and um all that and then in that scene that you were referencing in the bank or the the post office um we get like the loud banging of the glass breaking cuz the dude takes like the baseball bat to it um and just like the the cacophony of violence in that is just really really scary in addition to being jumpy scary and i think that that's um, something that just really worked for me. And it's something that I'm, I'm usually like, I've gotten better about it, but I'm usually kind of just a little bit averse to, you know, the idea of jump scares for, for, you know, uh, instant gratification of, of shock. 
like instant shock gratification in the viewer in the viewer rather than um you know building up something and here i think is a like 1408 is a really good like marriage of those two things like having jump scares that are shocking and immediate and instant gratification but also containing things that really really help um uh contextualize it into a an additionally scary element of it um yeah yeah for sure that's a good pretty good breakdown of the jump scares in the movie i think Thank you. i I agree. Yeah, like that was they they were used used pretty fairly well, you mm-hmm. know. Um and I have a similar relationship to I think most people at this point, you know, it's it's yeah. kind of a tired kind of a tired thing, but it can also be effective, so. Absolutely. Um I kind of wanted to give a shout out to old John Cusack in this, in this movie. Like this is one of my probably my favorite roles I've seen him in, I think. Yeah. And it's not because he's like particularly amazing or anything. I I just think it's, I was impressed with him because the lion's share of the acting is on his shoulders. He's, yeah, al- he's alone in a room and that is hard to do. That's, that's hard to do. He's forced to uh, carry the movie. Yeah. He's forced to carry. Yeah. That's a good, great way to put it. Yeah. He, he could have either totally failed at that and just sucked it up or gone way over the top. Yeah. And he didn't do either of those. He maybe flirted with the line a little bit at one point, but I, I have no issues with his performance. Um, I, I like his performance, actually. I especially appreciated the um, the flashbacks and stuff to when he was his daughter was still alive and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree that it was a bit the timing of it or the placement of it, like that you talked about earlier, how it should have been introduced or hinted at earlier. Fully agree with that, but. Yeah those flashbacks i think him with his daughter and his wife it just felt really natural like mm-hmm. I, I and i think both him and mary mccormick and the girl playing his daughter like there's some home movie kind of stuff it just it just felt really organic and natural and just came across really well and i think that was an added layer of authenticity to that to the background that made it more um much more damaging and traumatic when it was used against him by the the room, um, I just really liked that part and thought it was thought it was great. And uh, you know, I I don't know why I needed John Cusack so much. I think I think it's just <laughs> I think it's just because so many people like really like him, and I'm just mm-hmm. like, what? I I mean, he's fine, and yeah. I thought he even back then I was like, eh, he's been good a couple times, but um, he's 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 a he's a decent actor. He really is okay. Yeah. I mean. Yeah, I, I I don't know. I was just a douchebag, I guess. Yeah, I in my douchebag era, I got very hung up on how mopey he was and all of the roles I'd yeah. seen him in. But um, right. but yeah, but like I referenced, like Hot Tub Time Machine is great, and I like oh, him in for it. Sure. Um, for sure. Also, um, a kind of a mid two thousands thriller um, identity. He was very very solid in that. Pretty solid, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, the uh, the Runaway Jury, that was a decent... I never saw that one. Yeah, it's yeah. a decent movie. Kind of a little bit procedural, but mm-hmm. a solid movie. And Is he's, that a he's John Grisham story? Uh, could be. I don't mm-hmm. remember. Um, yeah. Hmm. Um, so. Yeah. So maybe I'll, maybe I'll dive into more Cusack stuff. Yeah. Um, the, yeah. the last big thing for, for me, I kind of hinted at it in, uh, before spoilers, was... You know, I talked about the the emotional journey really mm-hmm. just totally gripped me and pulled me in. And for me, the 
culmination of it obviously is just the part where it's like the cruelest fucking thing I can imagine where the room gives him his daughter back yes and he's trying to resist it and fails and gives into this knowing that it's not really her and then they kill his daughter in his arms yeah. like that's yes I was just, yes I was dying I was like holy shit this is rough man I was not I just wasn't expecting it to go that hard like and it's yeah it's really simple like there's no there's no CGI there's mm-hmm. no like there's no like incredibly deep meaningful writing in here there's some pretty damn good acting from John yeah. Cusack which again really liked him in that um but it's just a really simple scene but yeah. it's all, all all this build up this this build up to this crescendo you know and they just freaking nailed that crescendo i i thought it was really i just lied that scene killed me and it was like in a good way yeah like it's so interesting because that 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 scene in particular worked incredibly well for me for all the reasons you stated even with that element of the plot being something that i felt was maybe a little bit lackluster overall that killed me for a couple of reasons one is that the dialogue i feel like i didn't even i like you can barely register what he's saying but like there are a couple of lines where he's just like don't do this again like don't like i i can't lose her a second time or something like that mm-hmm. and just like that is devastating um and like you said it is very like lo-fi it's very just like simplistic it when when she goes limp in his arms and she like does the whole like oh i'm dead thing like it it might be the positioning of it and this may be intentional but like i was like it felt like we were watching like a huge um uh dramatic moment in like in like a shakespeare play or something like it felt very right. theatrical in in the like like theater sense um and right. it works and he nailed it it was great for sure yeah i was yeah. Kind of blown away a little bit. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, kind of probably my final thing that I have for, for spoilers is that, um, I also really appreciate and think that it works really well. The last scene, the very end of the movie. I think that that is such a good way to end the movie and communicate this, I guess kind of pay pay homage to uh the growth of the character uh from being a skeptic to to a believer but also being like just ending on this shock note of like oh yeah it recorded everything and it really happened and now she knows it really happened and like like it it's it's that perfect kind of ending where I'm like I want to see the scene that occurs after that I want to hear that conversation like I want to see what happens to these people after this, like after he presses play on that tape? Um, Absolutely. I was going to yeah. say basically the same thing. Mm-hmm. I, I really liked that, that denouement, that, that final scene was really well done. And, yep. you know, that wasn't in the book. I mean, no. um, and it's funny because the scene I loved, that scene I loved in the book in the end where, you know, Mike Henson's like, don't go in there like that. Yep. That growth was so, so cool. It's sort of a, I don't want to say it's a throwaway line in the movie, but it's brief and mm-hmm. it's 
it's fine, but it's just not something I focused on in the movie. Yeah. Um, but then we get this scene at the very end at the Danny Ma, the very last scene that was totally flooring and just great. And yeah, I thought it was awesome too. I yeah. really loved it. Nice. Yep. Uh, same here. Um, yeah. Any other thoughts on 1408, either the short story or the movie or the number? <laughs> <laughs> I do like the, uh, arbitrary nature of the number, I think, because mm-hmm. I think it's easy to go for a 13 number, right? Um, yeah. Well, that's the thing. It, like, I just realized you didn't, you didn't, I assume you didn't read the author's note. Um, and it's, it's referenced in the movie, like in the author's note, King says, um, he says, let me find it real quick. He says, um, I know it technically is 1308 because it's the 13th floor. But. Well, yeah, but he says in any case, let's check in, shall we? Here's your key. And you might take time to notice what those four innocent numbers add up to. And like all four of them add up to 13. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I did. Yeah. I saw that in the, yeah, I did. I did realize that. Yeah. I just kind of forgot about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, I liked it and, and <laughs> like an idiot, oh, like a tower junkie. Uh, when I read that in the author's note before seeing the movie and everything, I was like adding it up. I was like, wait, that doesn't add up to 19. How does, wait, <laughs> I, like I was trying to do math nice. multiple times. Cause I was like, wait, am I wrong? But no, no, no. It adds up to 13. Um, <laughs> that's <yeah>. awesome. <laughs> um, okay. Well, yeah. Is there anything else or should we kind of wrap things up? I'm ready to wrap up, yeah. Nice, same here. Well, that is our review of 1408, the short story, and the movie adaptation. Uh, let us know what you thought of this, uh, of all of this, everything, and anything, really. Um, you can find us on social media, Tower Junkies Pod. Uh, also check out the other shows, The Obsessive Viewer and Anthology, which is my solo sci-fi podcast about the Twilight Zone and science fiction theater and Black Mirror. Um, also couple of things one um i forgot to mention that in the interim between the last episode and now i wrote an essay for midwest film journal about the dark half uh movie adaptation um so check that out as part of their no sleep october series that they have every year um i was honored that mine was the one that closed it out on halloween um Nice. So check that out. And also, uh, if you want to reach out to us, email, you can email me at matt at obsessiveviewer.com. And also, I never mention this on any of the shows because I keep forgetting, but we do have merch. Um, we have a mm-hmm. T Public store. There's a link in the show notes. So if you want like uh, shirts or hats or anything. I haven't been on the T public store in a long time, but if you want stuff that's branded with our logo, you can do that and we get a little bit of money from it. So, uh, check that out. Uh, tiny, any, any, any last words? <laughs> uh, nope. It was right. awesome. Good, nice. good chatting with you, bud. Good chatting with you too. And next time on the show, I'm not sure what we're going to do, but, uh, we might try to throw together, uh, two episodes if for December, uh, reviewing Sell the Novel and Sell the Movie. Uh, we'll see if that comes out. But uh, but yeah, but I'll start playing us out. Um, once again, check out the Patreon, patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. Tons of content, but if you want just Stephen King stuff, there is a tier just for Stephen King related stuff. Every week on Sunday, I post something Stephen King related. Uh, I've been doing it for 30 consecutive weeks with no end in sight. So uh, check that out. Uh, Thank you guys so much for listening. Long days and pleasant nights. 
and may you have twice the number. And now, enjoy this short clip from our Patreon-exclusive RSS feed. For the full clip and more exclusive Patreon content, such as early access to episodes, TV, book, and movie reviews and reaction recordings, commentary tracks, and Patreon poopery episodes, go to patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer and become a patron at the minimum rate of $1 per month. Thank you and enjoy. And because of that, she does not have a sense of self. She does not have... Um, her own individuality. And in that, she also has remorse for things that she's done or things that have happened to her that have made it a, has, has made her life feel empty, in particular, terminating the pregnancy. She did not have a kid, so they do not have children. And there is this like underlying feeling throughout the story as she's kind of thinking about that, that she regrets that. She regrets not having children. I think that that's kind of the underlying subtext of the story. It's a little bit um, up in the air or up for interpretation, but that's kind of my read of it. And it's just really rich the way that King writes it. And what's amazing to me (laughs) is that I've been talking for however long, and I'm not even, I, I haven't even scratched the surface of the main concept of the story. The fact that there is this feeling of deja vu and how she keeps thinking about it. And there's this sense of impending doom. This podcast was edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. You can find links to all of our shows at ObsessiveViewer.com slash podcasts. For exclusive bonus content, including reviews, commentaries, and B-roll episodes, you can subscribe to our Patreon at Patreon.com slash ObsessiveViewer. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.